Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hi, I'm Mo Crumb. And I'm Harrison Crumb. And we're the Crummy Marathoners. This podcast is for beginners by beginners. If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you. We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned. If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. On today's episode, we talk to the superhuman Ken Rideout who won the Myrtle Beach Marathon the day before his 50th birthday, ranking him number one in the world in his age group. You won't want to miss the knowledge and motivation Ken shares in this interview. Friends, welcome to season two, episode 28 of the Marathon Training for Beginners podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back. What's going on? How is it going? Welcome, welcome. Hey, we hope you're having an amazing summer. We have had people reach out to us and say, Hey, where's the podcast? What's going on, guys? Like, did you stop making the podcast? I mean, I feel like we have to say this every episode. Like, every time we get on, we're like, Sorry for the delay. Like, you guys know, we're, it is we're just so true. We're not trying to be anyone we're not yeah we're just parents trying to live a normal life and hey uh if we can help all of you run a better marathon or get to the start line then we did our job yeah i mean don't get us wrong though we want to be more consistent and we're that is our goal um we've just had a very eventful summer (laughs) very very eventful yeah i mean it's it's been crazy you know most people during the summer they go on vacations and they have a lot of free time well it's kind of been the opposite for us so yeah. It's been very, very busy. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's been crazy. And I have to tell you, raising these two little ones and doing things with them has been so much fun. It's the best, right? It really is. It really is. The other night, we took them to go see Space Jam. And it was the cutest thing ever. Because we, we've never taken Calvin, our youngest, to the movie theaters. Yeah, so we went just the four of us. And (laughs) seeing them there in those big leather chairs with their little trays of popcorn. Their feet. I know. These are the things where like when we have to make a decision, are we going to put a podcast episode (laughs) out or are we going to do, you know, a family trip to the movies? You know, the obvious choice there. But thank you guys Mm. for sticking with us, for tuning in and uh, for being here. Yeah. And I think in the next episode, we'll kind of update you on things going on pertaining to our individual running. Absolutely. But today is all about 
our interview with Ken Rideout. Ah, uh, yes. This is an amazing episode, everyone. Yeah, guys, Ken is a no-nonsense guy. You'll pick that up when you listen to this interview. We absolutely love chatting with him. And we hope that you all walk away with a feeling of there are no limitations. You know, fight for what you want. Believe in yourself. Don't listen to the haters. Hmm. And now Ken will tell you about his background. But just a quick intro. He won first place in the Myrtle Beach Marathon this year the day before his 50th birthday. Let me just say that again. He won first place in the Myrtle Beach Marathon. First place the day before his 50th birthday. I mean, if that doesn't prove to all of us that age is just a number, I don't know what will. Yeah. And he's not just a runner too. And you'll hear this. So I don't want to give too much away, but he's a fighter, like a little like boxer UFC guy. Uh, He has a podcast all about it. He's a hockey player, an Iron Man. He's done like Well, I'm not going to tell you how many. He'll tell you in the interview. He's a finance guru. He's a husband and a father. So, I mean, I could keep going forever or we could just turn on the interview and you could hear it from him. What can he not do? But I I do want to apologize. So, okay, he is the most professional. He's got his own podcast and it's very, very successful. It's all about fighting. And so he's got, you know, the mic set up and everything. And we had recorded this episode. He sent me the file. And it got lost in the internet universe somehow. So what you're hearing on his side is just what's coming out of his computer. So please bear with us. The content is great. The sound quality is not the best we've ever had, but it doesn't matter because Ken is so amazing. Mm -hmm. So get ready, everyone. You're in for a treat. Here is Ken Rideout. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, everyone. Hey, we're sitting here with Ken Rideout. That's probably the coolest name of anyone we've had on the podcast. Um, but Ken, I heard about you when I read an article about you on, online. I feel like I'm talking to someone famous. You won the, the the recent Myrtle Beach Marathon. That was crazy. The The article was all about your 50th birthday coming up. And uh, how many days before your 50th birthday did you win the marathon? Mm, 12 hours. <laughs> That's amazing. So you won the whole thing, not just your age group. <laughs> yeah, people keep asking me that. I'm a, I almost feel slightly insulted. I would never call myself the winner if I only won my age group. Right, right. Well, I, I think people are only asking because they're absolutely amazed um, by your ability to do that and, and really breaks the mold of what everyone thinks, right? Which is you get worse over time. As you get older, you get slower and, and you're completely changing that. I mean, that's a mindset, man. That's a mindset that you get worse when you get older. Why? Who says? I don't believe that. I've run faster every single year for the last like 15 years. Now, granted, I didn't get into running until I was in my 30s. But from what you described of the um, show, it's about a beginner's journey into a marathon, helping people get into marathon. I think of myself as a beginner. I'm just like anyone else who wants to run a marathon. I've just honestly convinced myself that I'll suffer more than you to win. I'll, I'll I'll do anything to win. Uh, you know, within the, within the boundaries of the rules, but I, sure. if it's just about suffering and like I always say to people about running, no one's going to punch your face or choke you out when you get tired. Come on. This is just you against yourself. 
And it's just a matter of who can suffer the most. The race is like the reward. The suffering is done in the training. Yeah, the last six miles or 10 miles of the race are going to get difficult. But in comparison to the difficulty I put in in training by myself when it's pouring rain or freezing cold or scorching hot, like the race is, is like that's like icing on the cake. It's like all the good stuff that, you know, that you get for suffering in solitary in training. Absolutely. Well, all good stuff. I mean, we could end the we could end the podcast now, and you've already dropped some amazing knowledge on mindset. Um, but I think a lot of people will relate to that because because look, can I I didn't get into running until my late late twenties. You know, I'm thirty now, and my wife is the same age. And uh, I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are in that range or older. And to be able to look at my forecast and say, wow, I could potentially be a, a, a two thirty marathoner. Not potentially. You can if you want to. You will. None of them can. I was never a runner. I mean, I don't consider myself. People say to me, oh, you're a natural runner. I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, I hated running from the beginning. I don't wake up and like can't wait to go for a run. I view it as like a commitment to my health and to like, you know, being competitive. And uh, I, I, I'm not trying to be uh, dramatic or cliche. I say you can sure. do everything you want. This is, it's not like when people look, I get it. it that, that's a fast marathon to some people. But when I think about my time, I ran 230 on, on last weekend in, in last December in Sacramento, I ran 228. When I look at that time, yes, I, I, I understand that people think it's fast. But put it in the context of the guys that are winning the whole race and what humans are capable of. Someone's sure. running under two hours. People win the major marathons in 20 to 30 minutes faster than I ran. That's, that, that's an eternity. So to me, if you think about it in that context, it's not that outlandish to think like, oh, I was a minute a mile slower than the winner. Right. But again, I'm not trying to – everyone has their own journey. I'm not trying to say if you're trying to run 3.30, good for you. That's awesome. But what, I, what I'm trying to convey is you shouldn't look at that time and think like, oh, that's impossible. I mean, I think my first marathon was like 3.20 or 3.30. And again, to some people, they'll say, oh, wow, that's good. But to real runners, they'd say – that's pedestrian at best compared to pros and real runners. So sure. just for context, like I'm, I'm not oblivious to what marathon times are, but I also say the more you make that time sound unachievable, the further it gets from reality. Well, it, I, I love how you say that. And if anyone goes back and listens to this podcast from a year ago, when we first started, when I was talking about running, you know, my first at 410 and saying, It'll be years before I qualify for Boston. And then I talk to guys like you and I'm like, you know what? This is probably possible in the next year or two. Like it's all mindset. I just, it depends on how much I want it, how much work I put into it. Assuming you're not in terrible shape, I think in six months, anyone who is like relatively fit can do it. It's just a matter of suffering and keeping yourself healthy. Sometimes, you know, some people are going to be prone to overuse injuries for sure. Sure, and sure. I'm not trying to belittle the the achievement or the accomplishments by any means. I'm just saying 90% of this is mental and we'll get into the race in, in Myrtle Beach, but I'm convinced that psychologically, like the kid who was running with me and racing with me for, um, I mean, I only beat him by a minute, but I, I, I like bamboozled him psychologically and we'll get into <laughs> it later, but it just shows you that like a big percentage of, racing racing whatever the distance is is psychological whether it's psychological games you play with yourself or versus your opponent yeah you got to have the right mindset absolutely before we get into anything else can i want to back up and talk about you your history where you come from what makes you you i hear the accent i've I've seen your instagram i've seen the b on your hat 
Um, <laughs> I, I've lived in Boston myself. So wh- where are you from? Yeah, I'm from Boston. Um, I went to high school in Somerville, um, right next to Charlestown. Now, back in those times, um, what was Somerville like? I know Charleston in those times was kind of a rough neighborhood, right? But but now now it's gentrified. I mean, since it's a family show, I'll just say it was a bit of a dump. Um, it was <laughs> a uh, blue, definitely blue collar, working class community. But you know, you hear people talk about this all the time. When you're a kid, that's the norm. That's just you know, that's all you know. So it, it's it is what it is. If yeah. my kids had to spend a week in the neighborhood I grew up in, I'd be, I'd be a nervous wreck just because it was not a friendly, like warm, fuzzy place. It was an inner city blue collar place. Everyone worked blue collar jobs and no one was by any means was any, anyone wealthy. It was a working class inner city. Yeah. Neighborhood. Now, did you grow up around the Boston marathon in those times or was that kind of something oblivious to you? I mean, I, I was aware of the Boston Marathon, but I was never a runner. To me, only nerds ran. Um, <laughs> and to a certain extent, I feel like that now, but I classify myself as a nerd. Yeah. Um, I played um, primarily ice hockey as a kid. I was um, – that was a big, big thing. I mean, when I say play, I mean year-round, every single day. Um, some of the kids I grew up with, like Keith, Keith Kachuk, Joe Sacco, like real NHL all-stars, they were my, they were my peers. We were all wow. very similar as kids. And then probably in high school, those kids that made it to the next level just seemed to accelerate almost like a runner dropping you, like everyone's running six minute miles and they start running like 450 and you're like, how is he going that fast? Yeah. That's what it was like in hockey at a certain age. The kids who were meant to be superstars just separated themselves from the pack. But growing up, those were the kids I grew up with, all hockey players. That's amazing. Okay, so so a hockey guy grew up in Boston. Um, I, I know you've got a, a, a podcast about fighting. Is that boxing specifically? We cover uh, boxing and MMA, uh, primarily UFC and boxing. It's called The Fight with Teddy Atlas, and my broadcast partner is Teddy Atlas. Um, uh, he's in the Boxing Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. He's trained 18 world champions, um, two or three heavyweight world champions. We trained together. We trained Alex Vosdick, the light heavyweight champion of the world, for a fight in late 19 against Adarbeta Biev for the uh, lightweight unification title. We had the WBC title. He had the IBF. He uh, better be of eventually knocked our guy out, unfortunately, but it was an incredible experience. So yeah, I grew up around boxing. Um, I worked as a guard in a uh, prison when I, the week after I graduated high school, I started working at the um, prison and Mickey Ward, who was the subject of the movie, the fighter was a guard there with me and his brother, Dick wow. Lippen, who was played by Christian Bale was uh, was an inmate at the time. So yeah, <laughs> it's, I've been around fighting. Uh, I've been around fighting for a long time. Yeah, so you've got that fighter's mentality. You lived in uh, Boston. You did that. You were a, a prison guard. How long did you do that for? I did it for roughly four years throughout my college years. I played football and hockey in college, and then when I got out of uh, college, I moved to New York and started working in finance. Finance in New York. Nice. And how long, because uh, you're still working in finance is, is what I've read about you. Yep, that's right. I work in uh, finance as a um, consultant, placement agent, banker. Um, I work a lot with um, sports and health and wellness related uh, startups. Um, I've raised some money for some different venture funds, private equity funds. But yeah, that's the finance. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's tuning in to hear about my finance experience, but um, the finance and the podcast. 
Yeah. Okay. So no, but it's important to know, Ken, because everyone listening is, is an everyday person, right? Working a job, being a parent, and then, and then above or beneath all of that, however you want to put it, they're training for marathons and they're running marathons. So it's like, how do you fit it all in? And it's good to hear what normal people like, like you and, and I, I guess are, are, uh, are doing on a, on a daily basis. So you, you work in, in finance, yeah. uh, you, you run a podcast, you're winning marathons. You're also a dad, right? You've got a few kids. Yeah. Yeah. Not a few Four. I've got a, uh, I have a 10 year old daughter that we, who we adopted from Ethiopia as a newborn. She's now 10. And then I have a nine, seven and five, nine, seven, five year old boys, um, and a wife, obviously. And, um, we recently relocated from, um, Pacific Palisades in, um, LA, we were, which is right between Malibu and uh, Santa Monica. And now we live in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, <laughs> pretty, pretty normal, pretty standard stuff. No, normal standard life. So, um, Nashville sounds nice. I, uh, my wife and I were supposed to run the Nashville rock and roll marathon. What can you tell us about, since we're on the topic, what can you tell us about the Hills there? Is it pretty brutal or, or nothing compared to LA? I mean, put it this way, where I was running in LA, we lived up in the um, Santa Monica mountains, like two, three miles from the ocean, just off sunset and 2000 feet up. So when I would do my, for the last five years in LA, if I'd run 10 miles, I'd get 1400 feet of elevation gain in 10 miles. And for context, I think Boston and New York are like seven to 800, if I'm not mistaken. So if you combine all the hills in Boston and or New York, multiply it by two, I was getting that much climbing in 10 miles, which made me strong, but not, sure. it wasn't doing much speed, but it made me strong and it was all in trails. And I did, I don't know, 50 to a hundred miles a week, depending on what I was, what the situation called for whatever I was training for. Cause I had done the Ironman in Hawaii three times as well. So I spent a lot of time biking and um, not nearly enough time swimming, but that's another topic. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and now and now being so so for me being in Nashville, like no, it's it, I don't think it's hilly at all. I think it's um, I wouldn't say it's 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 dead flat, like uh, yeah, I don't know, like running along the beach. But it's it's you know comfortable rolling hills. I wouldn't say it's challenging hills whatsoever. Well, okay, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned triathlons, you mentioned Ironman. Were you doing the full distance or the half Ironman? Yeah, no full distance. I think I did ten or twelve Ironman races and. Maybe the best one was, I think I did 936, 936 in Wisconsin. I was sixth or seventh overall. And then I did a 936 or 939 in Kona. Wow. That's incredible. I, I just signed up for my first triathlon. So I'm, I'm, uh, my ears perked up when you said that. That's a topic for another day. We're, we're here talking about marathons, but <laughs> that's how it started with triathlon. I started doing triathlons and, um, had some decent success and, and felt like, oh, I think I can be competitive. And through that, I realized that I had an advantage in the run over the average triathlete. And and slowly over the last, like, call it three to four years, I started really focusing on trying to run a fast marathon. And I can get into the progression of what my times were for people who care. Because if, 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 if your audience is training for marathons and trying to qualify for races, I can kind of go through the progression. Yeah. In terms Absolutely. of what the time, how many years it took, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, let's start from the beginning. So, so when you started running, you said you were in your thirties, is that when you started doing triathlons as well, or did one come before the other? I had run the marathon just on like 
on a whim, I ran New York in like 3.30, but with, you know, I trained for several weeks. <laughs> in hindsight, I really, it wasn't much training in terms of marathon training. Yeah. And I ran 3.20 or 3.30, something like that. And just hovered right around there. I had done maybe, let's say two or three before I had done a triathlon. And then I did some shorter distance triathlons and realized quickly that I was like finishing in the top, let's say five to 10 overall. And I was like, oh man, I bet if I practice, I can beat a lot of these nerds. And um, so I started to, I just got immersed in it and, and started figuring out like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting the little things right. Like I always tell people, you shouldn't be the last person out of transition. You should be able to put your shoes on as fast as the fastest person within a few seconds. So I started like getting all the little things right. And, and when I played college football I was a quarterback and I was never the best at anything but I always like knew the plays knew where everyone was supposed to be and did the things right that I knew I could control I'm like a jack of all trades master of none but I know my own limitations and I'm never going to be the fastest or the most athletic but I know that the things that I can control I'm going to and and I'm going to have a plan and be prepared and I take it seriously which is why I go to these races by myself. My family never comes because I'm like, I've spent a lot of time training. My results mean a lot to me. I know no one else cares, but I care. And when I go there, it's all, I try to treat it like business. You know, I'm there. I'm not there to have, like, I know it sounds corny, but I'm not there to have fun. It's like, I'm, I'm there to see how good I can be and come back home. Yeah. So, so you don't even take them on the trip with you or you're just saying ahead of time, you know, before the race. No, nah, they 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 don't come to the races. They, it, it's it's boring for them. Like I mean, my kids have seen me win races. They are completely uh, oblivious. They do. They don't care. <laughs> You're always thinking in your head, "Oh, it'd be so great to have the kids there when I win." And then you realize, like, they could care less. They're just worried about like what snacks they can get at the concession stand. So <laughs> they don't come anymore. They don't want yeah. to wait early. <laughs> gotcha. So you did the marathons, a few of them. Then you started getting into triathlons and. Yeah. Is that really when you started noticing progress in, in through the cross training or what would you attribute that to? Yeah, that's where I start. Well, well, because of the triathlon, I started racing more frequently. And as a result, I started to recognize that I was getting better. And, um, you know, I set some goals for myself in triathlon to go to Hawaii and do the Ironman. And I did that. And after I did that, I was like, look, I'm never going to win this race overall. It's just not realistic. And, and But I can win some running races. And I started to slowly work my way up to trying to win a marathon and i had you know won some smaller races and, and sunday saturday in myrtle beach was the first time i won a mat won the whole marathon i came in second at the um huntington beach um surf city marathon in um 2020 wow so yeah let's walk through your progression a little bit i mean you, you started at around 3 30 yep. and then uh what were some of the subsequent times yeah and i hovered around there during my triathlon time i i had once I got a triathlon, the next time I ran a marathon, I feel like um, I ran, I think it was New York. I ran three hours and some seconds, like three hours flat in a few seconds. And that, that like started the odyssey of like, I missed it by less than a minute of three hours. Like now I'm hell bent on doing it. And the next time out I ran, uh, let's say a year later, and I don't remember the years, but let's say it was like 13, 14-ish I ran, you know, three, three hours and seconds. Um, and, and then I ran 258, I think in Boston. Um, 
And then from there, the next time I ran a race was maybe a year, year and a half later. I, I think it was New York. I ran 245. And I thought maybe I can run 240. So I ran 245. And in 15 or 16, I ran LA in 340 flat. And that's when I really started to think, like, I bet I can get under 330. And I just had no... I think you mean- you mean 230. And I didn't really have any limitations mentally. I didn't think it was that far fetched. Yes, it sounded fast to me. But like I said, if, if people were winning in close to two hours flat under 210, I was like, well, 230 shouldn't be that far of a stretch. I wasn't getting blown out in, uh, in triathlons by, by so much time, you know, it was yeah. like, so, um, and then I did Tucson the Tucson Marathon, which is pretty fast, it's predominantly downhill, but it's deceiving. There's, it's, it's a lot of, it's net net downhill, but there are some rolling hills through the first half, and they're fairly challenging. But anyway, I ran there. Um, I ran um, two thirty three there, and then I hovered around there. I, I, I would, then I was hell bent on breaking um, two thirty. And the next race I ran was two thirty four in Sacramento in um, two thousand eighteen. And in two thousand nineteen. My friend Des Linden, who won the Boston Marathon in 18, said, hey, if you want to run Boston, I have a plus one to the um, start line, meaning her agent or her husband, who's my friend Ryan, yeah. Linden, um, wasn't going to go to the start line with her. And I was like, this is like, I mean, if you're from <laughs> Boston, you know, getting on the pro bus and sitting in the church before the start line and warming up on your own private street and walking wow. to, the, to the start line like a, uh, like a <laughs> gentleman and having a bathroom to use in the church. It was unbelievable. And I ran, uh-huh. I thought at that race I could run under 230. I ended up running 235, which was fine. It was, I was a little disappointed, but I know it was still like a respectable time. And then that was in April of, ni- of 19. And then in December of 18, I ran 228 in Sacramento. Wow. So that's your PR, 228. Yeah. And after Boston, I, that's when uh, Mario Frioli started coaching me. And that's what made a huge difference from like, I, I felt like I had gotten... Keep in mind, up to this point, I had never had a running coach. I had had coaches in triathlon, but I had never had a pure running coach. So when I started training for Sacramento, I called, I got in touch with Mario. He's also from Boston. And um, we hit it up. Actually, I met him at Boston, at the Boston Marathon the day before at um, uh, Tracksmith, which is owned by my friend Matt, Matt Taylor. And um, we started talking, hit it off. He started coaching me and boom. Wow. <laughs> so I'm hearing some amazing name drops too. Deslin, and I can't believe you know her. I, I, I would love to have her on the podcast. That's crazy. It, for everyone listening, she just broke the, the female 50K record under, uh, what was it, under four hours? Mm-hmm. That was crazy. She ran, she ran the same pace I ran for the marathon uh, four <laughs> miles longer. That's insane. And then uh, Tracksmith, you, you know the owner. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff there. Matt Taylor, great guy. That's awesome. All right, so so it's safe to say your times are ridiculous, and you're getting faster with age. So sky's the limit. Every time I run one, I'm like, oh, this is this the best I'm ever going to be? And then I ran two thirty <laughs> on Saturday, and I had the last time I had well after Sacramento two twenty eight. Six weeks later is when I ran the um, Surf City Marathon in Huntington Beach, and I came second. And that's actually a funny story. I'm, I was running with this kid who looked like a you know you could just tell people look like runners. Yeah. And we're running through 15 miles and we're running fast. I mean, we're probably on like a 226 pace and I'm suffering. So finally I said to him, we're running side by side. 
he was obviously experienced. He wasn't going to get in front of me and I wouldn't, and I wasn't going to get in front of him. So as we're cruising along, I was like, what's your PR or what? I, I think I said, what's your PR? And he said, oh, I ran 221 in Sacramento six weeks ago. And I was like, all right, see you later. I'm going to drop dead if I keep this up. I ran 228 there and I'm not going to be able to maintain this pace. So he ran 226, won the race and I ran 230 flat. And my only objective in running that race was to try to win a marathon, which my time for the record, would have won it like the last seven years. <laughs> and this guy shows up and blows the doors off. And it turns out he ran at uh, Princeton and was like, you know, trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. Wow. So that's the thing with racing at this level. You just never know who's going to show who's up. Who's going to show up. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it, that's going to be the, the determining factor of if, if you win or not based on where you're at. But you can rest assured one, one thing is I'm showing up. When I'm there, I'm showing up to <laughs> – for, to win or die trying. So I, I've got a question about kind of your perception of winners and losers. So what's the biggest difference between people who win and people who lose? Like there's got to be a, a difference in, in maybe it's uh, the person's mindset, their genetic makeup, like what separates in your mind in all aspects of life, not just running a, a winner from a loser? To define people as winners and losers is, I think, too easy because, you know, you may have someone who's running, you know, with diabetes or they just um, running to overcome some challenge in their life. So I don't want to throw around the term loser and imply that if you don't win the race, you're a loser. That's definitely not how I feel. But I know that when I show up to the race, my objective is to beat everybody. So in that regard, like for me, winning is... But at the same time, if I ran 226 and someone ran 224 and beat me, I wouldn't think, oh, I'm a loser. I would think that guy is good, but I did that. Yeah. There was nothing I could do to go a, minute, a second faster. You know? So I would say the different, what makes someone a winner and loser is like, did you give 100% effort? Are you dependable? Can you count on yourself? Um, to me, I, I was just talking to a friend in LA and I said to him, you know what, one of the things that I really like about him is he's a good person, but more than being a good person, he's dependable. I know if I call him and ask him something, he's going to be there. And that's how I feel about the guy that I do the uh, podcast with, Teddy Alice. He's dependable. If you call him, you can bet you can rest assured he's going to show up. And that's how I feel about winning and losing and racing. Can you depend on yourself? Because there's going to be difficulties throughout racing and life. And can you count on yourself to show up when it's time to show up? It's easy to show up when it's easy. Like, yeah. you know, it's easy, it's, it's easy to, to be dependable when someone doesn't need something that's challenging. Or you don't need to, like, dig deep and go to a level of suffering you might not think that you can handle. I love that. That's profound. And uh, the way you put it as being dependable, depending on yourself. I mean, running is an individual sport. And I, every time I run a long distance, I can't help but think to myself, no one can do this for me. You know? <laughs> no, one can, no one can carry me those last six miles, as much pain as I'm in. And honestly, in my last marathon, that's what crossed my mind when I wanted to slow down was no one's going to be able to do this for me. So either I hurry up and finish and get it over with, or I start walking now, start slowing, and it's just going to take that much longer. Uh, but guess what? What do you think is more painful, suffering through the last six miles or walking and knowing that you quit and gave up and knowing that you you still had more to give? Because you know you're not going to die. You, you might faint or collapse, but you're not going to die. So to me, 
quitting is much more painful than continuing because the, the, the quitting that lasts with you forever. The, 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 the pain that you're in is just momentary. It, it, it's such a, like, it, it's such a flash in the pan. It's like a moment in time that will be over. The minute you stop running, that pain is over. So why not just push a little bit further? You can always walk at the finish line. See, but Ken, that's a fighter's mentality. And there's going to be people listening who are going to say, yeah, but I'm, I'm not as tough as Ken. You know, my- yes, you are. This is just mental. This has nothing to do with physical toughness. It's like, do I want to know in my mind that I quit on myself and walked? Or do I want to maybe slow down a little and then, and then see how I feel in a, a couple of minutes? But you know that once you stop and walk and give up, you only you know. But that's all. But you'll you'll know forever, and that's why I, I always say, and Teddy Alice would say, it's much it's much much more painful to quit than to just push through the little bit of adversity. And like I said, no one's gonna punch your face, no one's gonna choke you unconscious. You are not <laughs> going to die. You're gonna be all right. Just keep running, even if it's slower. Keep running, but just give everything you've got. And then when you're done, you'll know. I couldn't have done anything to get an ounce more out of myself, and that satisfaction will last forever. I love that. So, so when we talk about effort levels, a big question I have for you is as you've gotten faster, even though you've gotten a little bit older, do you find that the marathon gets easier because you're shaving time off or is it getting harder? No race and no distance is ever easy. I just get faster. It's the same amount of suffering. 5K, 10K, it sucks. I feel like, oh my God, I'm going to die. How am I going to do this? I wake up the morning of the race. The same things go through my mind. Why did I sign up for this? This stinks. I'm like setting myself up for failure. I could have just stayed home. Um, and then you realize like, yeah, but that's that's easy. And showing up is not easy. But it's what that's where the only place where growth happens is outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So what do you attribute your increased speed to? I mean, you've talked about doing triathlons, you've done some cross training. And then of course, I think the mental toughness plays a big role because you're always pushing yourself mentally, but there's got to be some training edges. Maybe it's diet, maybe it's some, some strength training routines or speed workouts. Like what do you primarily uh, attribute to your speed increase? Um, mileage. I start, when I started ramping the miles up, that's when I started getting faster. And, and, and throughout until I ran 228. So from like, 245, 240, 233, 234, all that training I just did on my own. I would just run big mileage, um, you know, several um, miles in, in a 10 week buildup. I do two or three mile, two or three weeks of over 100 miles, um, lots of duration. I did tempo runs. So when I felt good, I just run fast for a long time. And when I didn't feel good, I just slogged through it. When mm -hmm. I met, Mario and he started putting some structure to the plan. That's when, you know, I started to see some improvements in speed. So what, what does your typical training week look like, uh, as far as mileage and, and speed workout? Can you break that down a little bit? Sure. The last, um, I did roughly 10 weeks of targeted training for this recent race. And, um, I averaged 86 or 87 miles a week. All of my, um, runs, every single thing I've done for training is on uh, Strava, um, I would do, so it would look like this. Let's say Monday and Tuesday would be like 10 mile runs. Oh, sorry, Monday, 10 miles, Tuesday, 10 to 12 with some, with six to eight sets of strides, strides being like five seconds of acceleration, 10 minute, 10 seconds running all out. And then five seconds of deceleration. 
with 40-second recovery. So at the end of the run, six to eight sets of those just to get the legs snapping. Then, so that's Tuesday. Wednesday would be a workout. So a workout might look like um, uh, eight by eight by uh, 800 or um, uh, a mile on, a mile uh, followed by two 800s times two. So another, again, a mile, two 800s, a mile, two 800s, two or three times through that. Um, they would typically look like that. So anywhere from, and then, and then I might do like a three mile, three by three mile tempo run. So that's on Wednesday. There would be some kind of track workout, track like workout. I didn't always do it on the track. And then yeah. Thursday and Friday would be roughly 10 to 12 miles each day. And then Saturday would be like a long workout and, and a typical workout would look like <clears throat> 10 miles, um, you know, like seven minute pace, just under seven minute pace. And then 10 miles of like serious work of like 10 miles at like 540 to 545 pace. And those are the workouts that to me are a million times worse than the race, because that's the one where after one mile at that pace, when it, when you're not in a race setting, I'm like looking for the exit. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm never going <laughs> to run this far 10 miles at this pace. It's like, you know, yeah. running race pace by yourself when it's raining on a track is like hell on earth. I mean, that to me is, where things are, that's where growth happens. And that's what I keep telling myself when I'm doing it. Cause believe me, it's terrible. Like I don't want to be there. And then, um, but the hardest workout I ever did prior to Sacramento, we did called 10 miles of, you know, running it followed by nine miles that went like this, um, five for a mile, five thirty-five for a mile, five twenty-five for a mile, back to five forty-five. And and it's funny after the first series through getting back to that five forty-five felt like, oh thank <laughs> at this like snail's pace. Yeah. And then the last series through, man, five you you know, I'm running five forty-five and I'm like, oh my God, how am I gonna run faster than this on the third cycle through at mile seven? And then mile eight is five thirty-five and then literally the last mile I finished and just collapsed into the grass on the side of the road in Philadelphia. Like literally I was like, if ever I was going to die, it's now I feel terrible. <laughs> well, then, you know, I just get up and jog back to the hotel and off you go. So, and then on Sunday I would do like a recovery eight to 10 miles and then I'd wow. do all over again. So like I said, every, everything, if someone wants to see the exact workouts, they're all on Strava. Awesome. Yeah. Everyone go check them out. Is it just Ken right out on, on Strava? Yep. yep. Okay, cool. And and so you're running seven days a week then. There's no rest in there. I didn't take a single day off for seven for ten weeks. Wow. Which I know is gonna some people are gonna think is crazy, but I I, I I'd rather just go out and jog easy than take the day off. It feels, you know, if if again everything is relative, but if you're just out jogging at whatever jogging is for you, eight minute miles or eight thirty. Yeah. To me that's like active recovery. If I don't do that, I'm more sore the, the second day. So for sure. me, I mean, even after this marathon, I rode my bike actually for the first time in three months, the day after the marathon. But then, but then on Monday I ran four miles, five miles, six miles. Today I ran six and yeah. um, you know, the weekend I'll start getting back into it a little bit. That's amazing. Do you ever do any strength workout? Meaning like going and lifting weights at the gym? Yeah, no, three, three days a week. I have a gym at the house. One of the benefits of living here in Nashville is we have much more space than we did in, in uh, LA. So we have a, I have a gym, like a home gym that I put in from Rogue Fitness. So I'll do um, traditional like strength training. So I don't look too much like a runner. I'll do um, incline bench press, uh, maybe six sets of 10 to 15 pull-ups, 
um, uh, three or four sets of 50 sit-ups on like a angled sit-up board thing. I'll do a bunch of dips and then I'll do some shoulder presses, you know, just like some upper body stuff. So I don't get yeah. too scared. How do you, how do you find the time though? When you run, do you do that? Like right after your run, right before? Oh no. Okay. Yeah. So I do the run first thing in the morning. So I get up, have some coffee, go for a run, listen to fighting podcasts, typically, uh, some audio books, always listening to, um, some kind of commentary when I run. And then, um, then I come back, work all day. And then I'll typically go down to the gym. Like I said, three or four days a week in the evening, right before dinner. So once work is done, I'll do that. And then I can justify eating like a a big meal. That's amazing. Well, everyone go check out Ken on Instagram too. What's your Instagram handle? Um, that's a good question. Ken, (laughs) Ken, ride out one, two, I think. Hold on. Let me check. Okay. Ken, ride out one, two. Yeah. And I say that because, uh, Ken, you're jacked. Like you, you look like an actor in Hollywood. Like <laughs> you're so nice. Come on. You're no, I, I'm really. I'm. I'm not trying to uh, fluff your feathers here. Like really, um, you don't look fifty. I mean, you look like maybe thirty, and uh, it's just it's apparent what you're telling me. You know, you're putting in this time, these eighty miles plus, and then you're you, you know you're lifting weights. I mean, that it, it shows. But my question is. You've got four kids. You've got a wife. They're probably demanding uh, of attention at points in time. And your job, I'm, I can't imagine working in finance is, is a walk in the park. So h- how do you juggle it all? <laughs> I mean, my wife might say that I don't. But, um, you know, the running and the stuff, like they know, my wife especially, she knows, like, I need that outlet. I, I, I tell people, like, I don't know how people survive without having something that belongs to them. My wife has her things. I don't think it's healthy to not have something that just belongs to you. And for me, it's running and I try not to inconvenience them with my stuff. Like if we have, I mean, it's getting crazy now because there's, we've got four kids, three different baseball teams. There's something every day, Saturday. I mean, this coming Saturday, we've got uh, baseball games from like 10 AM to 6:30 PM. So what I would do is get up super early and run before baseball or get them to baseball and run while they're playing and then just come back and change in the parking lot and get back at it. But I don't know. I just, I think for my mental health and for everyone's um, well-being in the house, I need this outlet and I need something to kind of um, let out some of the aggression and competitiveness so it doesn't bleed into other areas, which like I said, my wife might think it still does, but um, (laughs) I'm doing the best I can, man. Look, everyone has their own journey. I don't think that my lifestyle and my, my activity level is right for everyone, but this is what works for me and for my family. And, you know, they know that I'm a better person when I can get out and do the things I need to do before the day starts. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm going to leave this conversation inspired. I know so many people will. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there listening right now who are are probably thinking to themselves, "Man, uh, if he can do it, I, I can do it too." And if not to the extent of running a 2:30 or 2:28 marathon, at least whatever seems completely unattainable to to you, if you're out there listening. And and so I I really appreciate your time, and and I, I think you're going to be more helpful than you know. Um, yeah, I just have one. One last curiosity, I guess, and that's because you know um, I'm I'm 30. I mentioned that earlier. You, you've got let's say 20 years on me at this point now. When I was your age, my dad was my age. <laughs> All right. So, does 50 year old you feel as as far as you know the way you feel your health, you know, and, and like your bones and your muscles? Do you feel any different than 30 year old you? 
The only difference I would say is uh, my eyesight. I have to wear reading glasses, which every time <laughs> I put them on, it, for, for the last two or three years, it's not lost on me. I'm like, I can't believe my eyes are not working the way they should. Uh, but physically, no, I don't. I don't feel any different. I, you know, 30, <laughs> 20 years ago is a long time, but I don't feel any different. I, I feel strong as I ever have. I could run the day after the marathon. I mean, I was. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm sore, real sore after the marathon, but it's a good sore. And yeah. um, I would say that, um, you know, to the people listening, I, I love the running community. I jokingly call runners nerds all the time, but uh, again, I include myself in that group. And um, I would say that it's it, nothing it makes me happier than like connecting with um, people that may have heard interviews or seen interviews that I've done about my running. And, and when people want to talk about running with me, I'm so flattered and enamored. I like, I've got all the time in the world for them. So if anyone has any questions or wants to connect on social media, I try to like respond to people all the time, whether it's the podcast, the fighting podcast or um, running stuff that I've done. Like I just love this endurance community. I, I, I feel like I have a lot in common with people that want to get out and suffer. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do this. I, I hope that people feel some uh, inspiration in, in my story, but you know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything special. I'm just, telling you how I feel. And um, yeah, please, if, if anyone feels need to connect, by all means, reach out. Well, connect now because before Ken becomes too famous, I mean, you're already making the news and you've got big goals for the future. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're set out to do here in the next uh, six or, or eight months or so? Yeah, in um, October, I think October 3rd, I'm going to run the uh, World Marathon Majors Age Group World Championship race in London. Um, I was ranked number one in the world in 45 to 49. I think I was tied with a, um, an Irish guy and a Kenyan guy, but I turned 50, um, on Sunday. <laughs> so I'll be racing in the 50 plus age group. So I'll be trying to win the 50 plus 50 to 54 age group world championships in London in October. That's amazing. All right. Everybody be on the lookout. Um, that one's broadcasted live, right? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. And if you're in my age group in that race, I'm coming to get you. I don't want to be <laughs> friends. We can be friends after the race, but during the race, stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Ken, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Hey, we'll chat with you soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Follow us on Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this running journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify, searching B-R-E-K-K. -K.